0: Hey guys, it's Tats here from Castagra, and welcome to the Specified Growth Podcast. Each week, I talk to leaders and experts about how to overcome adversity, grow massive organizations, and how to create meaningful change in the building materials and codings industry. Today's guest is Jen Hartman. She's the director of Strategic Public Relations and Enterprise Social Media at John Deere. Jen, thanks for coming on the show.
1: It's great to be here. Thank you very much.
0: Yeah, I really like your sort of backdrop there with all the uh, the tractors.
1: <laughs> so I, my husband is a second generation Deere employee. And so the all the tractors you see here, are actually, they belong to my father-in-law. And so he gave them to my husband here a few years ago. So um, this is kind of our little uh, tribute to deer.
0: <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah, that, uh, that explains the, the collection. One thing, I guess, before we sort of go into your background a little bit is on your social media account, you know, you have pinned at the top, you know, it says four years managing social media. And I know one thing, which is, I don't know anything. So I thought that was really hilarious. (laughs) Walk me through that.
1: And you know, part of the reason that is pinned is it's actually, if you, if you follow me on Twitter, you'll see, I try to remind people, particularly younger generations of folks coming up through the professional world, that I would love to break this myth that the older you get, or the more experienced you are, or the higher up in a company you are, the more sure of yourself you are, the more confident you are in all of your decisions. I want to help young people understand that we are all doing the best we can with what we know in the moment we're addressing. And so, in some good humored ways, I try to remind folks that we're all winging it, right? That we are, you know, oftentimes relying on experience to guide our decisions, but ultimately really turning to gut instinct, oftentimes right? There's no map. And I think for many of us in the digital space and and social media being one of those, it changes so quickly that the minute you do know something, it evolves overnight. (laughs) And what you knew yesterday is no longer relevant today. So.
0: That's a very, very good point. And, you know, I'm looking at your, yes, career. You've been in PR such a long time Mm -hmm. and many, many PR people haven't evolved into this new mm-hmm. digital age and I'm trying to pinpoint how you were able to do it I mean obviously there's some traits about you that are very unique but I'm looking at you started Edelman and I'm thinking that may have had some influence early on because I remember them to be fairly progressive with yeah. their approach.
1: Yeah, but, you know, even when I was at Edelman, I was using, you know, Bacons. I don't know if you remember that word, like you look up in Bacons, like what the circulation rates were for a newspaper and a placement and all that. You know, what's been really great for me is yeah. I just took the job at Deere, um heading up their PR March 1st of this year. And my predecessor was in the role for 21 years. And he was the one that oversaw Deere's adoption of social media as a, you know, robust part of our communications platform. But he was very old school, right? He came from a place where things were a lot more methodical. He played de- what I call defense a lot, right? And, um, and of course, Deer is a bit more conservative when it comes to PR and, and storytelling and positioning itself in that public. but it was good for me to spend a couple years working for him and really getting that because i think one of the things the challenges i see for the generation coming behind me and i kind of feel like the gen x generation bridges both the old school and the new school and we're trying to make both work yeah is that there's a lot to be said for the dutiful careful defensive approach where you are assessing constantly and social allows you to do that. Right. So from a PR perspective, and what I love about how deer manages PR is PR and social are part of the same team. So in my role, I'm managing our PR and social team.
0: Oh, wow. That's, that's great.
1: So cause so much news breaks online, right? Or if there's an issue bubbling up, you're going to know about it online before you're going to know about it anywhere else. So I think, Watching him at work and watching some of that, what I would consider more old school approach to PR really helped ground me and just how critical that is Mm. to be aware of what the conversations are, to be aware of how deer could be brought into that conversation and to be very well prepared for that. Mm. At the same time, right now I'm trying to turn this whole digital first PR approach, turning that ship around for deer. And it, It's an undertaking, right? It's to be thinking on your feet so quickly. And for a conservative company, right? In today's world, you don't always have the time to thoughtfully consider how you're going to respond or to spend a couple weeks meeting with internal teams, to write a statement, get approvals, right? There's an expectation that a brand is going to quickly respond to a crisis event in the moment or to respond to a significant social issue. so there's a lot of work to be done, I think for, especially in the manufacturing space to adopt a more nimble approach to PR.
0: Mm, Yeah. So you touched on it a little bit. Maybe some people aren't familiar with sort of the older school defensible methodology. Can you go through some of the mechanics around that for someone that has no experience in that?
1: Yeah, so one of the ways I I use comparisons, right? So, God, even 15 years ago, if there was an issue at one of our factories and someone in a local newspaper heard about it, because, again, it would have been local, primarily it would have been local, and someone local heard about it, that reporter might have gone to their news editor, got permission to reach out to us, that reporter would have reached out to the PR person. The PR person would have gotten that alert then. Okay, the local newspaper just called. There's something happened at this factory. I, as the PR person, have time to look into it. I have time to find out what the issue is, learn more about it, develop what an appropriate statement or response would be once I have all the information and deliver that back to the newspaper. In today's world, an employee at the factory can take a picture of whatever issue is happening, post it to social, and it might not just be a local issue, it might be international. And a good example, I would say, of that happening, I don't know if you saw what happened with Goodyear this year. Hmm. There was a local affiliate or a retail outlet that had posted what was appropriate to wear to work and what was not appropriate. One of the things listed not appropriate to wear was mega apparel or Make America Great Again apparel right? President Trump, within hours of that being posted by an employee, it got amplified by a media outlet, called for a boycott of Goodyear. So situations or information that once took some time to, to kind of roll out or to get to the bottom of, in today's world, a picture can immediately be news. And in many people's minds, immediately be facts. And that puts PR practitioners in a position of, I don't want to use the word defend, but to respond to people that have already made up their minds about what the truth is. And so I think for PR practitioners today, making sure that you have a solid brand and a solid reputation And that your storytelling is done throughout the year to demonstrate where you stand around social issues, around sustainability, diversity, so that if and when a crisis occurs, your audience already trusts you. Or at least is willing to listen to you, right? Um, So I think today's world, I would consider that defensive play for brands to be that all year, always on building your brand and reputation so that you're kind of preempting what could be a potential issue down the road. Mm.
0: And then I guess you would have some supporters that would push back before that the company could could respond to that.
1: You're absolutely right. I think that's one of the values of the, the digital space and social media from a PR perspective is you're right. A lot of your fans will come to your defense before you even have to or need to in some cases.
0: Yeah. So how, I mean, in terms of if something happened right now, what is the kind of flow chart that kind of goes through like a playbook? I'm sure there's different ways to classify issues, but does it go straight to the CEO's desk and back or... Do you have some discretion? How how does a big company manage that these days? Oh,
1: That's a really great question. And of course, you know, we starting March 1st, I got to deal with the pandemic right out of the gate.
0: Oh,
1: no. (laughs) So, you know, I would say for the most part, my team and I, and especially because we manage social are, you know, on the front lines, we are fortunate enough to have the resources to also, we work with a, a firm called Morning Consult, who does... Every day, we have a brand poll survey. They, They monitor brand perceptions and brand favorability and brand trust on a regular basis for a lot of large brands. So on a regular basis, we can see if there's any upticks or any declines in our brand favorability or trust and can try to zero in on what might be the cause of that. If an event happens, we can immediately assess based on that research if The world even really knows about it. So I think one of the biggest challenges for large companies sometimes is not everyone is very active on social, right? And so they don't fully understand or appreciate that one or two tweets. Even if it's from a significant account or an influencer, that doesn't always mean it's a crisis. It might feel like a crisis. It might feel like because the people you follow are talking about it. It's a big deal. But I think data and research is a valuable tool for us too, because we can turn to that very quickly to say, hey, yes, maybe in this subset of audience members, folks are talking about this. But when we look at the research, no one's even aware that this, this conversation is happening. And then I would say, secondly, I, I report to the vice president of Brand and Communications so you know, it, there's a there is a you know a reporting structure that uh, you know can kind of allows escalating issues to to get to the right folks. You mentioned my internship at Edelman. I one of the first things I did when I got into this role was contracted with Edelman to <laughs> help provide the counsel and expertise and global support that a company like Deere really needs to address issues when they arise. So I do have their ear and their counsel if it feels like there might be an issue brewing typically i would go to them first and and we would consult on on the topic and and get some recommendations and then take that to leadership if a response is warranted
0: wonderful now you talked about employees taking photos like how, how does a big company think about employees and social and aligning yeah. brand and all that stuff
1: yeah So I I will tell you right off the bat, one of the blessings of being the PR person for Deere is that integrity is one of our core values and has been forever. And so that helps, number one. (laughs) (laughs) I think number two, we've also, we are a more conservative, grounded company. I think over time, we're going to see, you know, as Deere continues to elevate its tech technology and precision ad, as we continue to attract and draw tech talent, I think we're going to see our culture evolve a bit when it comes to, you know, just the natural inclination for, I think, folks that are in the tech industry to communicate via Twitter or other social media channels. That's not something that's natural for employees at Deere typically. But we've tried to get ahead of it by making it part of regular conversations as part of our compliance education and training to provide guidance on what's accepted and what's not. But also, since I've taken this role, what I've tried to do is gray the lines a bit more to, because when you make employees fear going to social, it also means they fear sharing what they love about the company. Mm -hmm. And so what we're trying to do from a social and PR standpoint is to really advocate for, employee brand ambassadors and to encourage our employees to share their expertise, to talk about the great work they're doing, to talk about the great products that are being built in technology and software for for our customers and to know that we're here to help consult if needed. But I look at it as as a as a much more positive play than one I'm particularly worried about.
0: Yeah, no, that sounds that makes a lot of sense. Now for your brand John Deere you sort of straddled many different markets I guess the, the farming market is the, the core market but you're in construction which you know we, we interview a lot of people from construction how do you balance that in terms of the communication and the social I, I see how you're doing it but I'm curious on how you guys think about that because I always think how do you narrow and focus but how do you sort of go over a, a yeah. diverse product line
1: yeah, you, that is such a great question. Thank you for asking that. Because from a social perspective, especially when you look at organic social, right, where it's not paid targeted advertising, which is, by the way, how we navigate it. We, over the last couple of years, have really helped guide our product lines to start using paid targeted social strategies to reach their target audience because From an organic community building standpoint on our social channels, that's very difficult to do. To your point, you can't build a tight-knit community on a channel if you're trying to reach golf aficionados and construction industry and farming industry and forestry industry, right? Or gender financial customers even, right? So what we have tried to do is focus our social program More around brand building, around our fans, the affinity people have for our products, trying to celebrate the people in the industries as much as we can to engage more, to think less about distributing content, but to find more fun and unique ways to engage with our fans, whether that's through TikTok or Instagram. On Twitter, of course, we have found that our niche really is the ag audience. And and that's simply because that's what the channel is designed for. The channel is designed to build a community around a shared topic or industry or passion. And there is a very strong ag community on Twitter. And so we've tried to purposely and with intent tap into that. But beyond that, we've really convinced our teams across the board that represent those different product lines that they will be way more effective if they put paid advertising behind their efforts to reach their core audience. Wonderful.
0: Now, you have a wonderful Twitter account and you've established <laughs> a personal brand through that. Mm-hmm. Now, how does that relate? Like, how do you think about it? Mm-hmm. And how do you think about it from the position from John Deere? Because I'm always curious about the interaction between the two your personal objectives, and how the the company will see it. Can you kind of walk me through kind of both sides of that?
1: That's also a great question. I just got done talking about how I have been an advocate for getting more employees on social, right? And to allow them to share their expertise. Because I think a really awesome opportunity for any industry is to tap into the people that are passionate employees, right? And, And can demonstrate and put a human face to the work we do. So about a year ago, I decided if I was going to try to convince folks to do this, I needed to understand what it would take. And by the way, I found out (laughs) (laughs) it takes a lot. Um, This is not something that you can just pluck an executive out of the C-suite and drop them into a social platform and say, go, right? I honestly has been one of the most powerful professional development opportunities I've ever experienced. Wow. Because you can be the manager of social media like I was for a brand, but managing a personal channel and trying to build that with any sense of meaning or purpose is incredibly difficult. And it takes a lot of attention. It takes a lot of commitment. So number 1 that was lesson learned a great professional development experience for me when i became the head of pr then it caused some questions like mm-hmm. okay as the head of pr for deer i'm seen as the spokesperson for deer yes which means i what i say and do can be perceived as the company's mm-hmm. position i have been incredibly mindful of that. I would say that's, you know, number one, I think just as a PR practitioner, my predecessor that retired back in March, he actually told me to get rid of my personal Twitter account. (laughs) He felt like he was concerned that, you know, reporters would be reaching out to me or that there would be some conflict of interest there. But again, if I am looking at a digital PR approach, a digital first approach, This has actually afforded me a very valuable opportunity to make connections I never would have met before or made before, right? I've had conversations with leaders all over numerous (laughs) industries, including yourself today, that I never would have had. It's broadened my understanding of marketing, social, and PR because of the connections I've made through that Twitter account. I would say um, with full transparency, one of the biggest challenges is when there are social issues happening, when conversations across social are very rich in a particular. I mean, let's just talk about the election, right? I had to be very careful and I continue to be to make sure that I'm not liking, that I'm not even liking posts that might reflect where I stand. I'm quite sure if people went through my Twitter feed they could probably get some hints or clues to where I stand, but I have been mindful of wearing both hats and having to be very cautious about that. I have nothing but support and encouragement from my supervisor and from the team at Deer, And I think that is partly because I'm taking lessons learned to my colleagues who are also trying to build their own brand on social. And lessons learned while painful can also be very valuable. <laughs> so, I so far I have I have nothing but support to continue.
0: No, it's wonderful. What I see you doing, I feel like it's the future. I think there'll be different mist from different people and we can all learn together, but I feel like it's it's the future and you, you sort of represent you're working with such a big company, but I think mm-hmm. the sense of Authenticity and and Mm -hmm. sharing comes out. Maybe you don't weigh in on certain topics, but it it does come out. So I've always been impressed with how you do that. And to your point before on trying to attract technology tech people, I'm sure that's helping.
1: Agreed. I think, you know, like I I have been saying that Deere is positioning itself as a tech company because they are the preeminent leader in precision ag, right? And if we do not have social channels that exemplify that innovation, then we're dead in the water. We've lost credibility, right? And, and we still have a long ways to go. So anyone listening to this, I don't want them going out and looking to see if we exemplify top tech because we're not quite there yet. But it is, on, it is in the back of my mind all the time that if there's some young Stanford engineer who just got a call from a dear recruiter. And, and he hops out, he or she hops online line to see what deer's up to. I want whatever social platform they are looking at to reinforce what kind of tech leadership we're, we're looking to achieve.
0: Wonderful. Now you're passionately involved in some nonprofit stuff. Do you want to talk a little bit about that?
1: Sure. Yeah, thank you. It's a huge passion of mine outside of work is an organization we started here in the community where Deer Headquarters lives called Royal Ball Run for Autism. I have uh, a now 18-year-old daughter who has autism. She was diagnosed when she was three, and I found that I didn't know where to turn. And for anyone that has a special needs child, and I think particularly with autism, it's such a broad spectrum Of of challenges that affect each child in such unique and different ways, there's not always a ready resource or answer to your questions. And so we started a nonprofit here in the Quad Cities area that is focused on building a community of parents that um, are all facing some of the same challenges that are providing resources to families. We have an online resource guide. So if you get a diagnosis or your child's about ready to go to college and you're not sure what that means. We've got a resource guide for folks to find help that have all been endorsed by parents of children with autism. And then we have fundraisers throughout the year to help support uh, speech and language ther- therapy for autistic children and, and education and support for families along the way. So it's it's been deeply meaningful for me and, and again, you know, gives me even more Gratitude for deer and the kind of space and time and flexibility they allow for each of us to pursue those kinds of passions outside of work.
0: Wonderful. Yeah, I can see the the culture sort of uh, yeah uh, really uh, goes deep. Wonderful. Is there anything else you want to pass on or sort of uh, that comes to mind?
1: you know, I know a lot of your audience, you know, probably comes from, you know, some smaller companies, or, you know, maybe just starting out. And, and so sometimes, you know, I like to remind people that while I work at Deere, and of course, I have more resources and to just really zero in on one or two things you can do exceptionally well. When it comes to social, right, I think sometimes we make the mistake of spreading ourselves too thin and trying to do too much. Deer hasn't even embarked on Twi- on uh, TikTok yet, by the way, because we're not ready, right? I just said we have a long way to go to get our social platforms where they need to be. And I just encourage everyone to you know let your passion speak through, let your let your people humanize the story you have to share and continue to, to watch me on Twitter for all the ways. I can remind you that none of us know what we're doing. We're all, you know, doing the best we can. So keep going.
0: Well, it's comforting to me, and I'm sure that's comforting to, to others <laughs> listening in. So thank you for sharing.
1: It's been so great. Thanks for, thanks for having me.
0: I want to thank everyone for listening to Specify today. also want to thank the listeners who are working hard each day to change the world to make it a better place. If you know anyone, anyone that would benefit from this episode, please pass it along. And finally, make sure you subscribe to hear upcoming episodes. Talk to you soon.